We had a whole class on furniture arranging in rabbinical school. I got like a B minus, I think. And we wanted to take an opportunity, Rabbi Sorokin and I just back from uh, a brief but very powerful and very meaningful journey to Israel. Uh, certainly in all the journeys I've taken to Israel, unique for me. Um, guessing Rabbi Sorokin may say the same thing. So we wanted to share with you this morning a little bit about the experiences that we had, uh, what we saw, what Israelis are thinking and feeling about, what we experienced. Uh, we arrived in Israel Monday morning, um, and uh, we came back yesterday. So it was really four days on the ground, four days in and out. And, and Rabbi Sorokin, maybe we can just begin with that, any sort of big picture impressions that you're left with from, from the last five days. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, a really, I think as you said, it was a really sort of unique and deeply meaningful and, uh, and I think a really hard trip. You know, I actually, um, we haven't had a chance even to talk this morning, but you know, it was such an incredible group of people that we went with um, from Bethel, from our community, that um, you know, it felt like you sort of found support in one another, you know, so we were sort of doing really hard things together, which made it feel like it was really endurable. Um, but then somehow when I got home and sort of had time to think about all of the things that we had done, um, I got really, you know, I really felt the depth of sort of the, the loss and the sadness, the grief, despair, um, and also sort of the determination and resilience. So that was really what I had come away with. I had been out in Israel about six weeks ago um, in November, my first sort of post-October 7th trip. And it's an interesting thing even that I say that because I think in some ways one of the things that we really saw while we were over there, and I think that this is true for, for Israel and I think that this is true for the Jewish people, is that there's sort of an Israel and a Jewish people of like October 6th, and then there's an Israel and a Jewish people of October 8th. And I think that both of those peoples and communities, like we've all been changed, right? I mean, here in America, I think for, for most of us, um, it felt like, you know, the Jewish world of October 6th, you know, was a world um, that felt safe and the Jewish people felt loved and cared for and belonging and like proud to have aspired to like have, you know, been, you know, sort of no longer were we sort of the Holocaust generation and the pogrom generation. We were a new Jewish people. And then I think October 8th sort of put us into this place of like, wow, you know, and so I think that my takeaway from the trip is that, you know, Israel and the entire Jewish people has been deeply changed by what happened on October 7th and also in the aftermath. Right, what's happening on college campuses, what's happening in cities, what's happening in the media. You know, it's a, it's a hard time for us, but the one thing that I would say, <clears throat> and I think that you probably felt this too, is that when you get to Israel, like, the determination is, you can't even put it into words. You know, what they've had to endure over the past, you know, stretch of time, and especially on October 7th, you know, with 136 hostages now um, still there, it feels like October 7th is still happening, right? Until those hostages are 
home with their loved ones, October 7th won't ever end until that day. And so I think in many ways what we saw was a real sadness, an unbelievable determination that we will survive this, we will get through this, and we will be a strong people in a strong land of Israel. Yeah, sort of like a, this pervasive sense of, uh, of sadness and shock that you can just feel everywhere. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, any community that you visit, you can feel that sort of like hanging in the air. That sense of grief, really, I think, is, is what it is. And, and then on the other hand, as Rabbi Shorkin said, this, uh, this strength and determination and resilience um, and a kind of coming together as community um, to figure out a way to work forward yeah. um, and, and, and to deal with, they, with what they have to deal with now and to build something that's going to be better for the future. It was striking to me um, a number of things in the interactions that we had with Israelis. Um, one was the incredible gratitude that they had for our group coming. So we were a small group. We were 14 people um, with staff from the synagogue made it 18. Uh, so it's a small group, you know, but it is quiet in Israel right now. It is very quiet. If, if you've been to Israel, you probably think of vibrancy, full cafes, full hotels. You think of Ben Gurion Airport as a madhouse, you know, and all those kinds of things. It is quiet. Uh, Thursday night when we went to Ben Gurion to leave, um, you know, it's many, many times I've done it, Rabbi Sorokin as well. It's usually there's hundreds and hundreds of people trying to get through security at Ben Gurion Airport. There were about 40 people, 40 people trying to go through. The hotels are, are very, very quiet. And people said to us over and over again, we are so deeply grateful that you are here. We, they would say, we cannot even tell you how grateful we feel that you have come to be with us and to share in our grief and to support us and to show that we are part of Am Yisrael, of a large global Jewish community. We cannot tell you how grateful we are. We heard that over and over yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. So Rabbi Schwartz, of, of all the things <clears throat> that we did, and we really did a lot in four days, what were the, what were the things that sort of stood out to you as uh, things that you'll hold on to and, and carry with you? Yeah, I mean, the, so we did all kinds of things. We did some volunteering. Um, our group became expert at making tuna fish sandwiches, <laughs> which, we, which we did assembly line style, uh, you know, style with the bread, the tuna fish, tomatoes, uh, onions. Was, it, was Jane here? Jane? She's Were there onions, Jane? Pickles. Yeah, yeah. So we were assembling these tuna fish sandwiches um, and these were going to soldiers in the IDF, and we did about two hours doing that. Fifteen a box, fill the box, get stacked on a truck, fill the truck, and the truck's driven off uh, to soldiers who were serving down in Gaza. Um, we picked avocados um, also because the people who are normally picking the avocados are folks who come out of Gaza to do that. Well, they can't get out of Gaza, and then also um, folks from outside of Israel, a lot of people from Thailand actually come in and help. Um, and so we picked avocados. Um, we had amazing meetings um, with people. I mean, deeply insightful, very smart, very wise people who know what's going on on the ground, a sense of kind of what's the context, what's the global picture. Um, but the day when we traveled to the south, you know, that's hard stuff. That's hard stuff. We spent a day, a um, good part of an afternoon in the south, and this is where the Nova Music Festival was. We, we went to that site. Um, it's unbelievable, and we went to uh, Sderot, which was a 
a city that was attacked by terrorists that day, um, spoke with citizens there, um, and we went to Kfar Aza, which was one of the kibbutzim communities, one of the kibbutz communities. Uh, you're talking about just a few miles from Gaza. I mean, literally two, three, you can see Gaza. You can see Gaza City um, in, in the distance. You can hear the bombs going off, um, you know, the, as the Israeli military um, is still active there. Um, and the devastation in Kfar Aza, this, this kibbutz, which was, uh, which was attacked by terrorists on October 7th, I can't describe it to you. I mean, I, it's unbelievable, like nothing I've ever seen. Mm. Tough, tough. And you got to go, you got to see, you got to participate, and you got to let, like we try to do, let those folks in Israel know that they are not alone. And I think we were able to do that. Yeah, I think we were able to do that. How about for you? So it's um, <clears throat> what Rabbi Schwartz was saying about what we saw in Kafar Aza, um, what was really um, incredibly difficult was that on the outer sort of area of the kibbutz closest to Gaza, that was the, um, they were apartments for, for, I mean, I'm gonna say kids, but they were, they're 18 to 30 year olds on the kibbutz. And when they're in that age cohort of 18 through 30, they get their own apartment. So maybe they're living on their own, maybe they've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and there's a couple in there, or maybe it's a husband and wife, but they're young, they're 18 through 30 year olds. And it's apartment after apartment after apartment after apartment. And um, some of them you could still go into to bear witness, but um, most of them on the outside is either a red sort of, um, you know, one of those... Tape. Like, like a tape, yeah. like taping off an area. It's either a red tape <clears throat> or a yellow tape. And the red tape signifies um, someone who was murdered in that apartment. And then the yellow tape, it signifies someone who's, who's being held captive, who's a hostage. Who was taken hostage that day, yeah, but yeah. So <clears throat> you sort of saw this like long strip, like, I don't know, it's probably like one and a half times this in, in both this side and on that side. Yeah. And then you just saw red tape, yellow tape, red tape, red tape, red tape, yellow tape. And that whole, that whole area, I mean, these 18 through 30 year olds, um, the blood was still on the couches, on the bras that you saw on the ground. And, um, and it felt like, especially in the world that's sort of saying, prove it, it felt like seeing it and knowing it felt really important. And for me, I think the hardest or one of the hardest things was going to the Nova festival and seeing that, you know, just the day before, or maybe even that morning, that all of the family members of the kids who had been murdered dancing and singing at a festival, that their families had gone together and planted seeds on Tubishvat so that new, new beings, new, new entities, new creations would come from the earth. Um, and then just sort of the crazy place like that you saw all of these poles with each of their pictures on it, these like beautiful, sweet, happy faces and knowing that um, they'd all been stolen, robbed, and, and murdered. It was so hard. And then this other, you know, session we went to was a woman, her name was Kochav, 
And she was like, um, she was a lawyer who happened to be um, sort of sitting in the particular chair at this particular moment of time for a women's organization. And her job is actually to collect all of the evidence to, so that these families can make their cases and Israel can make their case when it comes to all of the sexual violence that happened on October 7th. And so she was putting together these cases. Um, and I asked her at one point, you know, I said, is there anything like that we should know? Like, are there details that we should know given that like we have to also be people that know what happened and tell the stories? And I said, um, is there anything that you want to share with us? And she looked at us and she cried. And she said, I'm so sorry. And then she cried and she said, um, no. She said, because what I know now after watching countless hours of footage of the atrocities and abuses and evil that happened on October 7th, she said, no other person in the world should have to carry and hold what I now know to be true. And so she didn't actually tell us because, and this was I think another theme of the people that we'd spoke to, what they were really wrestling with is that most people felt like they believed that people were inherently good. And they said that what's happened on October 7th and afterwards, they're really, they're really struggling to, to see that that they really have seen evil, evil. And once you see and you experience evil, it changes you forever. We, we met uh, one day with the person who is, believe it or not, see, uh, Ira Levinson's here, and his wife Debbie, and so Ira, we met with uh, the, the funeral director for Har Herzl, which is the military cemetery just outside of Jerusalem. And uh, as a young man, uh, I think he was about 40 years old, and he told us that in the days after October 7th, um, there were so many young servicemen and women in the IDF, young Israeli soldiers that needed to be buried, that they were running funerals from 8 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, day after day after day, 8 o'clock at morning till 11 o'clock at night on the half hour, just like that. And took us to, a, we went to a section of the cemetery, uh, two sections actually, which were opened post-October 7th, so just after October 7th. And if you look at the dates on the tombstones, it begins, you know, the date of death, October 7th, October 7th, October 7th, October 7th, one after another after another. And then all the other dates are since October 7th. These are all, uh, you know, young men, mostly men, but some women as well, <coughs> some women as well and they're 20, 21, you know, 22, 19. Uh, that's one after another, after another. Um, the, you, you know, and, and um, as Rabbi Sorokin said before, um, Israelis are uh, almost, uh, I think, sort of leaving that over here, all of that, and they'll come back to that, yep. I think, when they have the time. Um, right now, what they're doing is uh, you know, everything they can to take care of each other. I think that's really what's going on. 
So that includes, you know, soldiers in the IDF. Um, the, the whole society is mobilized to try to help take care of soldiers in the IDF. People who have been, who were living up north, who, who can't be up north right now because missiles are coming from Hezbollah in the north, so they've all been moved, over 100,000 people relocated into the middle of the country. They're living in hotels and in people's homes and in kibbutzim and um, they don't have, they, they left, they, don't, they didn't leave with clothes, they didn't leave, so they need clothes, they need books, the kids need schools and Israelis are coming together to provide those people with books and clothes and schools and all, all those kinds yeah. of things. People from the south left and, and came up and, and all these people are being cared for um, and it's, it's happening through, through, is, through the Israeli people, you know, through the Jewish people. It's incredible. It's very, very powerful, actually, to see. A um, cu couple of general trends that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think the, the other thing, so, so um, sometimes people will sort of ask about the post-traumatic, you know, stress or grief. And it's an interesting thing, as Rabbi Schwartz was just saying, that in Israel, it's, it's not post traumatic stress disorder. It's not PTSD. They're still in this. They haven't yet started, I think, in many ways, their grief journey because in many ways they're still trying to support their evacuees, the people that have, have, you know, had to leave their homes. But also I think, you know, the other part that's really important right now in Israel, wherever you go, is the hostages. You know, it's... Um, it is, you can see on buildings, you know, the big kidnapped signs. There's actually, do you remember when we were driving into Jerusalem for, from Megin David Adom, um, the ambulance um, center, that um, like on the building is a big, it's a tower and it has pictures of all of the people that are still being held hostage. And then it says on it, um, do you know where your kids are? are sleeping tonight and it really is like um like people people need to bring these hostages home they're ours and i think in so many ways every person is like one degree from someone who's being held in a tunnel in gaza or somewhere in gaza and they really do feel like, you know, one, not sure that the world cares. And also, two, you know, they know that they need to, uh, they're in a tough place, right? They know that each day that passes, you know, it feels a little harder. And also, you know, we met with a cousin of, of um, Hirsch, um, Goldberg Poland, and he was saying to us, they're doing everything they can. They've been to the UN, they've been to the White House, they've visited the Pope as family to urge people to keep caring about our hostages. And um, he said, we've been at this for 113 days and it feels like nothing has helped and nothing has changed. So I think that that's still very much, very much on the hearts and minds of, of the people of Israel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that in general, and, and we'll wrap up in a second because sort of, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time. And in fact, on February 3rd, is it next February Saturday. 3rd, the yep. Shabbos? So next Shabbos, after services, we'll have a longer discussion 
about our experiences, bring some members of the group who came with us yeah. as well. Um, but I think that in the general Israeli population at this point, the focus has shifted um, from concern about completely destroying Hamas to concern about getting the hostages out. So if you said to the average Israeli today, what's most important to you, they would say, just get the hostages out. Even if that means you, you stop prosecuting the war at this point, just get, do whatever you have to do to get mm -hmm. the hostages out. Um, just one thing, we'll wrap up with this, was that so we were, we were making these tuna fish sandwiches and, uh, and, uh, and this is classic Israel, so where are, these, where are we making the sandwiches? There's a, you know, Israel's Starbucks is called Aroma. It's a, it's a coffee, you know, shop chain. Many of you have been to Israel, you've been to Aroma and had coffee. So in communities around Israel, um, the, some of the larger Aroma coffee shops have opened themselves up to volunteers to come and make these sandwiches for, for the IDF soldiers. And so we're in an aroma, but it's, it's classic Israel, like we're making sandwiches. Next to us was a group from Florida, maybe. We were doing tuna fish, they were doing cheese sandwiches. We were better, definitely better than them. Um, but while, while all this is going on and it's tumult and the, you know, people are bringing trays of tomatoes to us and loaves of bread and everything, the coffee shop is open. I mean, people are coming in and ordering coffee, you know, and they're like elbowing through and get the coffee or whatever. But a lot of soldiers were coming in. And a number of the soldiers came up to us and said, you know, do you mind if we take one of the sandwiches? I said, sure. You know, they're hungry. Like, you know, they're 20-year-old kids. And so we're, we're not only making the sandwiches, packing them in the trucks and sending them, we're handing the, literally handing the sandwiches to soldiers as they're coming in to get their cup of coffee. Um, and, you know, one of the soldiers said, Thank you for being here and for this sandwich. And I just think, like, you, you cannot underestimate two things. The power of presence, just showing up, what that means, what that can mean to someone, um, not just in many things in life, but, but certainly in this. And the other thing is how much of a difference a little thing can make, like a tuna fish sandwich. A tuna fish sandwich can make a difference, if it's made well, if it's made well. <laughs> I have a quick. Um... I wanted to share a very quick piece of Torah around this Torah portion. Um, so Alana Kershan, who is, some of you may know, she's a, a really special woman in Israel. She's taught at the Soul Center before. She wrote a book called If All the Seas Were Ink. And she actually wrote something about this Torah portion today. Um, and she said, she had published it a little while ago, but she said that on October 7th, she and her husband went to shul, um, and she was reading Torah at shul. And her kids were like, they're kids, and they wanted to sleep in. So she said, it's okay, you wake up when you wake up, and then meet us at shul. That was fine. That was what they always did. But it was October 7th, and so she was at shul, and she was reading Torah that day. And in the middle of her Torah reading, the sirens started to go off in Jerusalem. And so everybody knew what to do. They know the drill. They run to the safe room. And she was reading Torah, so she took the Torah, and she and her husband and the community went down to the safe room. And when they got to the safe room, she continued to read Torah. So time's passing. It's time they can go back up, but the sirens happen and they're back down. So they just end up staying in the safe room and completing the Torah reading, and completing their Shabbat morning um, prayer experience. And meanwhile, of course, any parent in here knows what are you thinking of? Like your kids. 
are they okay? They're, they're young kids. And so finally, after they were done with the Torah, her husband runs back to the house and the kids are in their safe room still. And they're crying, right? All three of them are crying. And she says her little one has his hands up like this. And so Alana and her husband walk in and they say like, you know, they hug their children and they're praying and their hands up like this. And she says, what are you doing? And it's from this Torah portion. The boys, the older boys said, we told our younger brother what we learned in the Torah, which is that when Moshe kept his hands up, the people were <coughs> safe. And as long as we were praying, we would be okay. And so they said for all of those hours, they took turns keeping up their hands and they never stopped praying. And that was how they made sure that their little brother felt safe. So it really makes me think of like the beauty of Torah, even in moments where things are really scary and really hard. And in many ways, it's this Torah portion that we learn. Moshe can keep his hands up and the people are safe. And that was what made them feel like they would make it through October 7th. It's Lador Vador, right? Lador Vador. So thanks for taking some time with us this morning. Appreciate um, that you, you spend this time with us and we can share our thoughts. And again, next Shabbos, after Shul, we'll continue the conversation. Uh, we're going to get to Musaf. So.